morning dear sangha uh, today is the 14th of october 2013 and we are in the deer park monastery on our fourth day of the retreat finding out to whom <clears throat> the other day we have uh, spoken about uh, the four nutrients and the Buddha always say that uh, nothing can survive without food. In order for our love to, to continue beautifully, we should learn how to feed our love. And that is an art, how to, how to feed our love so that it will not die. Our turn to be something else than love. If you have uh, a depression, and if the depression refuses to go away because you keep feeding it, if you know how to stop feeding your, your suffering, your, your uh, depression, then your depression will, will have to die because of the lack of food. The Buddha said that uh, what has come to be, namely the suffering, what has come to be, if you know how to look deeply into the nature of, of that and identify the source of food, the source of nutriment that has uh, brought it to you, you are already on the path of uh, emancipation. You can identify the source of nutriment that has been used to feed the pain, the ill-being, and then you know already you are already on the path of healing. So looking deeply into uh, the pain, into the suffering, into the ill-being, we can find the source, the roots of your being in terms of uh, nutriment. And we know that uh, the Buddhist teaching is based on the four noble truths. And the first one is uh, your being. Dukkha is the word in Sanskrit. It means your being. And you may ask, what is uh, so uh, noble about uh, your being? <laughs> the first noble truth. The answer is that when you look deeply into your being and understand your being, you find a way out. You find a way of uh, transformation and healing. 
you have to begin with your being. And looking deeply into the, the, the nature of your being, you will find a second noble truth, which is the way of life that has led to your being. So it's a kind of path, but the wrong path, the path that leads to your being. So the second noble truth, the making of your being. Is what we discover when we look into uh, the nature of your being. It is described as a path, the way of uh, living, full of wrong perceptions, uh, wrong, wrong thinking, wrong speech, wrong action. and so on, that has led to ill-being. And then, when you have seen the making of ill-being in terms of uh, the path, you can see the other path that goes in the, direct, in the opposite direction. If there is a path leading to ill-being, there should be a path leading to well-being. So the fourth noble truth is just the opposite of the making of your being. It is the transformation of your being, the end of your being, the path leading to the end of your being, the path of joy and happiness, the path of healing, the path of joy and happiness. And here you can use the word uh, well-being, the path of well-being. So if you follow the path of ill-being, you get ill-being. <laughs> and there is another path which is the opposite of this path. When you see this path, you can at the same time see the opposite path. And that path of well-being, of course, uh, leads to well-being. Well-being uh, means the cessation of ill-being. It's like uh, the absence of darkness means the presence of light. So in the scripture, the third noble truth is uh, the cessation of well-being. It means the existence of well-being. So according to the, to the teaching of interbeing that we have learned, if uh, ill being is there, something else should be there also. <laughs> and that is well being. 
we have learned that uh, in order for the left to be, the right to, has to be there at the same time. In order for the above to be, the below should, should be there. So things into our And if uh, we uh, recognize the presence of ill-being, suffering, we have to recognize at the same time the existence of happiness, of well-being. So well-being is possible. It's wonderful to know that well-being is possible, happiness is possible. And if uh, happiness is possible, there should be a way, a path leading to happiness. And that is uh, what we call the noble path, the noble eightfold path. The second is also a path, but it's not so noble. <laughs> it's, uh, you can call it an ignoble path. And this is a noble path. And the path of well-being begins with uh, right view, right view. Right view is a kind of insight, the kind of deep vision of reality. And sometimes that uh, right view is that is called. Uh, the insight of of uh, interbeing, interbeing is very deep. The mm, the the noble eightfold path begins with uh, right view. It means uh, a deep kind of vision, a deep kind of insight, and that is why one day. The monk uh, Kajayana came to ask the Buddha this question. Dear teacher, you often speak of uh, right view. What is exactly right view? Right view can be described in many ways, but that day the Buddha gave a very special definition of uh, right view. He said, right view is a kind of insight that transcends the notion of being and non-being. If you are caught in the notion of being, you don't have that insight. If you are caught by the insight of non-being, you don't have that insight either. And this is something possible for us to, uh, to touch. When we look at uh, a flower, we tend to think that the flower is. The flower belongs to the realm of being. And we believe it to be the truth. The flower is. And the word to be, the verb to be is a, the verb that we use uh, hundreds of times every day. But we don't, do not understand really the meaning of the word to be.
when we look into this flower, we see that this flower is made only of non-flower elements. Like the sunshine, the sunshine is not flower. But without the sunshine, a flower cannot be. You see a cloud, cloud is not flower. But without cloud, a flower cannot be. And the rain and the soil, the earth, the minerals, everything in the cosmos have come together in order to help the flower to manifest as a wonder. And we know that the flower cannot be by herself alone. The flower has to interbe with the cloud, the rain, the sunshine, the earth, and so on. So it is impossible to be. It is possible to interbe. So to be is impossible, and to interbe is possible, and that is reality. Unfortunately, the word interbeing is not yet there in a dictionary. <laughs> so, um, this is kind of meditation that lead us to, uh, that help us to learn to think in such a way that uh, we can get closer to the truth. In the in the in the in the verb uh, interbeing, in the verb verb interbe, there is still the word being, but because of the prefix inter, we transcend the notion of being. We because we know that. To be is impossible. To be by yourself is impossible. Man cannot be by themselves alone. Man has to interbe with non-man elements, namely animal, vegetable, and minerals. And if you remove all the non-man element out of man, man vanish, vanish. So man cannot be. Man can only interbe. And I think that is, is uh, the deepest teaching on ecology. In order for man to be, you have to protect the being of other species. And the Diamond Sutra is a sutra that uh, urges us to transcend uh, four notions. The first uh, notion is uh, the notion of self. And if we want to remove the notion of self, we have to see that self is made only of non-self elements. When I say myself, there's something wrong in it. I imagine that there is a self that can exist independently from the rest of the world. But if, uh, if uh, I look deeply, I see I am made of uh, parents, ancestors, education, food, civilization, and so on. And if I remove uh, 
these elements from me, there's no longer any I, any me. So the self, the separate self is an illusion. And that is why um, when we look at something, we have to try to see the nature of interbeing in that, in that thing. Before seeing that nature of interbeing, we have not seen it really. When I was um, a novice, my teacher taught me how to bow to the Buddha. In order to have a true communication with the Buddha, you should see the nature interbeing of the Buddha and your own nature interbeing. Because uh, usually we think that the Buddha is not you. He is something wholly other than you, entirely other than you. And you are something entirely other than the Buddha. That's the way we think. We think in terms of selves. But in fact, a Buddha is made only of non-Buddha elements. Like a lotus flower. She's made of non-lotus elements, including the mud. The Buddha has also had also suffered. And he knew how to, to understand suffering and to transform suffering. So when you look into the Buddha, you can see the non-Buddha element suffering that has been able, has been able to make a Buddha. When you look into a lotus flower, you should be able to see the mud in it. You should smile to the mud in the lotus. You should smile to the cloud in your tea. The tea cannot be without a cloud. So that is meditation. You are led to look deeply into reality, to discover the nature of interbeing and transcend the notion of self as something that can exist independently from the rest. So before you bow to the Buddha, you have to contemplate the nature of interbeing in the Buddha and in you. And my teacher gave me a verse to learn by heart. And I have to breathe in and out with uh, the verse in order to begin to see that nature of interbeing between the Buddha and me before I can bow to him, to the Buddha. The one who bows and the one who is bowed to are both by nature empty. Empty of a self, of separate self. Dear Buddha, I'm going to bow to you, but I know that you are empty of a self. You are made of non-you element, and that is why I can see me in you. If you have not seen that, the bowing will, have, will not uh, create any kind of, uh, of communication. You have to bow in the light of interbeing in order for, for the communication to be possible between you and the Buddha, 
meeting you and Jesus Christ. God and man inter are. Without man, there is no God. Without God, there is no man. When I look into myself, I see I am made of non-me elements, and in me, there is element Buddha. So there is no complex. I am not uh, uh, asking the Buddha to give me some Buddhahood, some happiness. Because I have the Buddha nature in me, the capacity to understand, to love, to liberate myself. And that is why the nature, the, the, the reality of non, of interbeing is very important. That is the right view. And uh, with right view, we are free from all kind of discrimination. Discrimination between self and no self mm. and other. The lover and the beloved. So in true love, You have to understand the nature of interbeing between you and the person you love. And that is uh, the fourth uh, element of true love called uh, equanimity. The Chinese uh, is written like this, Sa, and the Sanskrit is Upeksha. Equanimity means um, non-discrimination, interbeing. When you have a true love, and then there is no frontier anymore between you and the person you love. Her suffering is your suffering. Herself is yourself. Your, your happiness is her, her happiness. And if uh, you say, darling, that's your problem, that's not true love. <laughs> your, her problem is your problem. And that is why in true love, there is no longer any separate self. And uh, if you follow the path of true love, very soon your heart will grow and you will embrace everyone. You, you begin with one person. But if you have the element of true love in you, your heart will grow very quickly and very soon you embrace all of us. All of us will be in your heart and that is the love of a Buddha. No discrimination. Inclusiveness, that is the word. You don't exclude anyone. Red or black or white or yellow. You don't you don't leave out leave out anyone. That's uh, the fourth element of true love. Equanimity, inclusiveness, non-discrimination. And that is the highest form of love. And we all have that capacity to develop. 
The third element of true love is uh, is a joy. True love should should be able to create joy for you and for him, for her. If by loving you make her cry every day, that's not true love. <laughs> you don't suffer if your love is true love. And joy or inclusiveness should be an insight also. You should have the insight of interbeing in order to remove all discrimination in order to be able to create joy for, for you, for the other person. Mudita. He. The second, the second element of true love is compassion. B. Karuna. I have been asked to speak about the theme of, of compassion in Stanford University on the 20, 27th of this month. Uh, together with some scientists who have uh, studied um, uh, some people who are ex, uh, expert in neuroscience and we shall have a discussion about uh, compassion. Uh, the coming together between science and uh, spirituality. Compassion is a kind of energy that has the power to heal and to transform the suffering in you and in the other person. In the person of the lover, there is suffering. And in the person of the beloved, there is also suffering. And true love should have the capacity to transform and heal. And that requires some understanding. If you don't understand the nature of the, of the suffering in yourself, you cannot heal yourself. If you do not understand the nature of suffering in the other person, you cannot help him or her to suffer less. So understanding suffering is very important. And in order to understand, you need mindfulness and concentration. You need the time to listen and to look deeply into the first noble truth, your being. And that is why the first noble truth is called noble, because without that, you cannot create understanding and happiness and compassion. It is by understanding suffering that uh, compassion can be born. And once compassion is born in your heart, it begins to heal you 
and it begins to heal the other person. And the first element of true love is uh, loving kindness. This is something like a brotherhood, a sisterhood. The Maitri, Maitri, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeksha. Loving kindness is the kind of energy that can offer happiness. Because true love should be able to offer happiness to you and to the other person. Otherwise, it's not true love. And these are four elements of true love. Um, that is a practice. And that is the object of the third mindfulness training. And that is an art. The art of producing uh, loving kindness, the art of producing compassion, the art of producing joy, and the art of uh, producing non-discrimination. And the lover is an artist. She knows how to create these beautiful energies for her own happiness and the happiness of the other person. According to this teaching and practice, we have to be able to create these four elements of true love for ourselves. Because loving ourselves, taking care of ourselves, is the foundation to love and to take care of others. If you cannot do it for yourself, you cannot make the other person joyful, happy, and so on. When you begin to have joy and compassion, <coughs> happiness and compassion, you, you suffer much less. And because you suffer much less, you are in a position to help the other person to suffer less. And if you suffer, if you suffer, still suffer deeply, how can you, how can you help another person not to suffer? It's very simple. When you love someone, you are motivated, motivated by the desire to offer him or her something to make to make her happy. And that is loving kindness. And the most precious thing that you can offer him or her is not something that you can buy in the supermarket. And according to this teaching, you have to offer yourself your presence. Your presence, a presence that is uh, fresh, beautiful, full of uh, uh, stability, uh, solidity, and uh, freedom. And that is why uh, practicing uh, in order to generate the energy of freshness, uh, the energy of solidity, stability, uh, the energy of uh, peace, and the energy of freedom 
is very important that improve the quality of your being, of your presence. And it is, uh, it is with that presence that you can offer to your beloved one. You have the first mantra, darling, I'm here for you. It means that the most precious uh, gift you can make your be- to be your beloved one is your presence. How, how can you love unless you are there? So my definition, my first definition of love is to be there. To love means to be there. Uh, and if you run, uh, always run uh, to the, to after the object of your of your craving. And then you don't have the time for yourself. You don't have the time for him or for her. You cannot be there. If you think too much about your success as a corporate leader of a politician, then how do you have the time in order to offer to offer your presence to that person. So my definition is very simple. To love, first of all, is to be there. And to be there is a practice. You have to, to focus your attention on your in-breath and breathe in. When you breathe in mindfully, you bring your mind home to your body. And when mind and body are there, are together, you are there. You are truly there in the here and the now. And then you can offer yourself, your presence to him or to her. You go to him or to her and you say, darling, I'm here for you. And that is the most precious gift that a lover can, can make to his beloved one. You don't have to buy anything, you, have, don't, you don't have to spend money. Just breathing in mindfully and you bring your mind home to your body and you are established in the here and the now. To be there is a practice and that is the practice of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a kind of energy to help you to be there in the here and the now. And then with uh, with uh, the practice of breathing or walking mindfully, you can improve your quality of being. About 20 years ago, he uh, invented uh, pebble meditation for the children in Santa Barbara. The first retreat we organized for children was in Santa Barbara. A few hundred of them came, and their parents came to support them. And they invented uh, Pebble meditation. Every child has four pebbles. They selected from the ground. They wash them and they put into a small bag. And when they sit in in a circle, uh, they begin with uh, the sound of the bell, and they take out the four pebbles. They put the first pebble on the palm of their left hand and they put uh, the left hand on the right hand and they begin to breathe in. 
breathing in, I see myself as a flower. Breathing out, I feel fresh. That is to restore your freshness. Children, they don't worry too much, and that is why they can, they can retain their freshness. And uh, we don't have to imagine that we are a flower, because uh, we are born as a flower in the garden of humanity. Look at the, the baby, a little boy, a little girl. The child is very beautiful while she sleeps. Beautiful when uh, while she plays. Her face is like a flower. Her tiny hand, his tiny hand is a real flower. His tiny foot is also a flower. That is a real flower. And we are born as flowers. But many of us do not know how to preserve our flowerness. We worry too much. We suffer too much. We cry so much that we have lost much of our freshness and beauty. And that is why the practice of mindfulness can help restore our freshness and our beauty. And that is the meaning of the first exercise. Breathing in, I see myself as a flower. Breathing out, I feel fresh. When you stop your thinking, if you enjoy your breathing, then you feel calm, uh, uh, good in yourself, and then you can restore uh, your freshness and your beauty. A few minutes of practice of uh, breathing and walking can restore your freshness and your beauty, and then you go to him, to her, and practice the first mantra, darling. This is my gift. I'm here for you. And the wonderful thing is that you can, you can pronounce the mantra with your telephone. She is in the office. She is uh, somewhere. But you can offer your presence to him or to her. Call him, call her. After you have uh, practiced mindful breathing, and you say, darling, you know something? I'm here for you. <laughs> Please don't tell me that meditation is hard, hard work. It's not difficult. It's very pleasant. After having practiced mindful breathing and walking for a few minutes, you become fresh, pleasant. And you call him or her, and you pronounce the first mantra. And you can do that several times a day. And you know that uh, with the mantra works. You feel wonderful in yourself, and the other person feels happy right away. And that is one of the ways you can preserve, uh, you can uh, uh, nourish your love. You should know how to feed our love. The second pebble represents uh, a mountain. Breathing in, I see myself as a mountain. Breathing out, I feel solid. A person without uh, stability, solidity, 
cannot be a happy person. And if we know how to practice in order to dwell solidly in the here and the now, we cultivate our solidity, our stability. Without stability, the other person cannot count on you. That is why cultivating stability is very important. There is a mountain in you, the mountain of stability, of solidity. Breathing in, I see myself as a mountain. Breathing out, I feel solid. I feel stable. You can count on me. The third pebble represents still water. There are times when the water in the lake is so still that it reflects truthfully Faithfully, the sky, the clouds, the mountains, the trees, and so on. You can take a picture of the sky, aiming your camera at the water, still water that is peace. There are feelings and emotions that make us uh, mm, uh, worry, worried and uh, agitated. We do not have enough, enough uh, peace in ourselves. One idea, one feeling may disturb us and we lose our peace. Our lo- we lose our calm. We lose our tranquility. And that is why the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, uh, recognizing the emotion, the pain, embracing it like a mother embracing the baby can help restore our calm. As still water, you reflect things as they are. You don't distort them. And peace makes you happy. Peace is the foundation of happiness. A person who does not have any peace cannot be a happy person. So the practice of walking or breathing in mindfulness, uh, using that kind of mindfulness and recognize and embrace our feelings, our emotions, and restore peace is possible. And with that, kind of uh, tranquility and peace, you are more beautiful. You are more pleasant to him or to her. Breathing in, I see myself as still water. Breathing out, I reflect things as they truly are. Cultivating peace. Peace is possible in your body, in your mind, with the practice of mindfulness. And then breathing in, I see myself as space, the fourth pebble. Breathing out, I feel free. In order to be a happy person, in order to be pleasant for him or for, for her, you have to, be, to, to get some freedom. Space means freedom. 
if you are overloaded with uh, projects and worries and fear, you have not enough space for yourself. If uh, you are so busy, uh, you, have, you have so many projects, and then uh, there is no time for you, no freedom for you around yourself. And that is why the practice of mindfulness help you to get rid of many things that prevent you to be free. When you arrange flowers, you should uh, allow each flower to have, to have uh, enough space around to radiate her beauty. You don't need a lot of flowers. You need only two or three. And you allow each flower to have plenty of space around. So we are flowers. We should have space inside of us and space around. And we should be able to offer our beloved one space. Freedom. Freedom is what we offer when we, when we love. We don't force the other person to follow our idea. We do not impose on him or on her our notion of happiness and so on. We should be able to offer him or her space. But if we do not have space in us, how can we, we offer space and freedom? That is why this uh, practice is uh, to cultivate more freedom. Breathing in, I see myself as space. Breathing out, I feel free, wonderful. Look at the moon. She has a lot of space around her. That is why she's so beautiful. <laughs> so cultivating um, beauty, restoring freshness, cultivating stability and uh, calm and peace, and uh, freedom, make uh, our presence into a valuable uh, uh, presence, a pres a present to the person we love. And if we practice, we are happy, and our beloved one will be happy also, because our person is the gift for him of our nourishing Love is an art. We know that uh, when we uh, when we speak of, of uh, ill being, we mention ill being as the truth. At the same time, we confirm the existence of well being, and we confirm also the truth about. Uh, the making of ill-being, and the truth about the path of uh, well-being. And uh, you can see the nature of interbeing by looking at one of the four noble truths. Ill-being cannot be by itself alone. When you look into ill-being, you see the three other truths. We have already said that uh, if we confirm the existence of your being, 
we confirm at the same time the existence of well-being, like the left and the right. So it's very clear that you have to understand the, the teaching in the light of interbeing. In the one, you see the all. In a flower, you see the whole cosmos. In the sun, you see the father. And uh, the relationship between father and son should be seen in the light of interbeing. It's like uh, when I pray to the Buddha, when I talk to the Buddha, I should see myself in the Buddha and the Buddha in me before the talking can be uh, productive. So when you look at your son or your daughter, you have to see yourself in him or in her. She is not another person. She is your continuation. He is your continuation. When you look at your father, and if you see your father as a separate human being, that's wrong. Looking deeply into yourself, you see that uh, your father is uh, present in every cell of your body. And not only your father, but your mother also is in your, every cell of your body. And not only your parents, but all your ancestors are still alive in, your, in every cell of your body. And the moment when this, you see these elements, non-you elements in you, you begin to see yourself. Otherwise, you have only an illusion about yourself. You have to touch the nature of uh, interbeing. There, there are young people who get very angry at their father. Father might not be skillful, and son, daughter might not be skillful, and they create suffering for each other. And the young person can, can get very angry at his father. And he can say something like, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And that is, not, that is nonsense. Because if you remove father from you, there's no you left. <laughs> so father has to see son as his continuation. And the suffering of the son is the suffering of the father. The happiness of the son is the happiness of the father. That is equanimity. That is non-discrimination. And if you, if you are looking for happiness alone uh, and making your way of uh, looking for happiness can make your father suffer, your happiness will not be real because if father continues to suffer, you cannot be truly happy. So you have to do, to, to do something in order for your father to suffer less. And then 
you be you suffer less and your happiness will be possible so even uh, in the in the father son mother daughter relationship the insight of interbeing should be there in order for our love to be true love uh, the insight of no self the insight of interbeing the insight of um, the practice of uh, inclusiveness his suffering is your suffering your happiness will be his happiness i have to uh, offer you the second mantra the first mantra we have learned darling i'm here for you you offer your your presence to him or to her the second mantra is equally easy to practice the first mantra is to to generate to produce your presence for him or for her the second mantra is to recognize his presence her presence as something precious for you to be loved means to feel uh, you are something you are important for the other person you are recognized as something important valuable so the second uh, mantra is darling i know you are there and i am so happy i will suffer if you are not there i know you are there for me that is why i'm so happy so when you drive your car and if uh, she sit close to you and if you think of everything your business your projects except her and then she feel that she left out you are not mindful of her presence she does not feel that she is loved to to be loved means to be recognized as existing so you breathe in while driving you smile in order to to restore your freshness and you say darling you know something i'm here for you <laughs> and then you pronounce the second mantra darling i know you are there on my right i am so happy that is to use the energy of mindfulness to embrace her to embrace him and being in the zone of uh, of your mindfulness the other person will bloom like a flower darling i know you are there and i'm so happy and in your office you can call home and you pronounce the mantra it takes only um, one minute and it can create happiness right away for you and for the other person and uh, i like today to offer you the fifth mantra why because the fifth is very easy equally easy 
<laughs> the first, the second, and the fifth. <laughs> the fifth is, uh, this is, uh, darling, this is a happy moment. This is a happy moment. And in Plum we, we pronounce that mantra all the time. Every time we sit down to have a cup of tea, uh, to begin our lunch, our breakfast, we always pronounce that uh, mantra. Dear brothers, what is this moment? And someone will say, this is a happy moment. <laughs> and you can say it in different ways, but uh, the mantra is to wake up people so that everyone can see this is a very... Uh, um, very lucky moment for everyone. We have the chance to be together. We have the chance to share something together, to, to, to share a meal together, to be walking together, to be sitting together. Every moment can be a moment of happiness. That is the practice of mindfulness. In fact, we are very lucky. We are much luckier than many people. And we should be able to recognize the elements of our happiness that are already uh, there in the here and the now. And it's so easy to practice. Whenever I sit with a disciple, a group of friends, I always uh, ask them to pronounce that fifth mantra. Darling, this is uh, a happy a moment. And you may ask, is this moment is a happy moment, darling? And she will say, this is a happy moment. <laughs> The fourth mantra is the most difficult. But before I, I talk about the fourth, <laughs> I have to mention the third. The third is, uh, is a mantra that you use when you notice that something is not going well with uh, your beloved one. Because you are mindful, you notice that uh, something is not going well with the other person. Yesterday I told a story of uh, Frederick and uh, Laura. And I did not mention that uh, when uh, Laura is, uh, was hospitalized for service, operation, surgery. Frederick was so busy, he could not come. He, care, he is caught by his business, he could not come. And when the, 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 the son, Philip, went to the hospital, he couldn't be home either. So the business can be a kind of uh, dictator that take away all your time and energies. You have no time left in order to be uh, for you and for the person you love. When you notice that something is not going well with uh, your beloved one, you have to be there for him or for her. And the third uh, mantra is, darling, I know you suffer. 
That is why I'm here for you. A little bit, uh, uh, you need a little bit uh, of effort in order to be, no matter how busy you are, you should make an effort in order to be close to the person you love. The fourth is difficult because uh, you suffer. Not, not the other person suffer, you suffer. And you believe that your suffering has been caused by <laughs> by him or by her. <laughs> if it were another person who has uh, done that to you, you would have suffered less. But it's not another person. That's him. That's her. That's the person you love the most that has done it to you. If it were another person who has said that to you, you would not uh, be as uh, uh, painful as, uh, as now, because it is the person you love, you trust the most, that has said that to you. So, so you suffer very deeply. And uh, you feel very alone very alone. And uh, you prefer to, uh, to go to your room and look, look, lock yourself up in your room and cry. Because you get hurt so much that uh, even that person, the other person come and inquire about uh, your ill-being, you don't want to answer. You want to tell him or her indirectly that you don't need him, you don't need her anymore. You can survive very well without him or her. <laughs> that is silly, but many of us do like that. That's pride, the element of pride in love. And that is uh, the opposite of uh, interbeing, inside of interbeing. There is a self standing on the way. You get hurt. When the other person say, darling, you suffer of something? And you say, me suffer? Why do I, do I have to suffer? Why do I have to suffer? You pretend not to suffer. And if uh, he wants to put uh, his hand on your shoulder, you say, leave me alone. <laughs> you do everything in order to, to tell him indirectly that you don't need him, you don't need her. Alone you can survive very well. That is a kind of punishment. You want to punish him. And that is uh, not, uh, not to love. Because in true love, you have to share everything. Your suffering is his suffering. Your happiness is her happiness. And uh, you find it very difficult to go to him and ask for help. But the real practice, the true practice, is to tell him, tell her that you suffer. 
there is a real, a true story happening in Vietnam at the end of uh, the 15th century. There is a, a lady um, who was pregnant, Nam Sương, Nam Sương lady. And uh, her husband uh, had to go to war, to the army. They are both young. And they cried so much when the young man left. And she had to, uh, to raise uh, the child alone, to give birth and to raise the child alone. He was in the army for three years. And he was lucky to, to be released from the army alive. So he, he went home and she learned about the good news. As she went to the gate of the village with that little boy to greet him. And uh, that was a very happy moment when when they meet each other again uh, after three years. And it is the first time that uh, the, young, the young father uh, see uh, his son. So according to our tradition, you have to announce uh, the good news to your ancestors. In Vietnam, there is uh, the practice of ancestral worship. Every house has a, an altar for ancestors. And every morning, you have to come to the altar and remove the dust and, and light a stick of incense and offer. It takes one minute or two. But to us, it's a very important practice. Because we believe that our ancestors are always alive, at least uh, in ourselves. And wherever we go, our ancestors go with us. Not outside, but inside. And um, the moment, the minute when you, uh, you spend in order to, to be with your ancestors to light a stick of incense is the moment when you connect with your ancestors. It's very important. If, if you are uprooted and then you don't, do not have enough uh, stability. And uh, when something happen, important happens in the family, you have to announce to your ancestors formally Suppose a baby is born, you have to offer to place on the altar an offering and announce the, the birth of the baby because your ancestors have the right to know. If you are sending your, your boy to school uh, in the next uh, town, you have to, 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 to make an offering and place on the altar and announce that to your to your ancestors. If you are about to marry your daughter, you have to announce that to your ancestors. 
And that is the, the practice of everyone. So uh, the lady went to do some shopping in order to prepare an offering. And uh, the man is left uh, with his son and tried to persuade the son to call him daddy, father. But the son, the little boy, refused. Mister, you are not my, my father, my daddy. My daddy used to come every night. And my mother talked to him at length. And she cried. And whenever my mother sit down, my father sit down. And when my mother lie down, he lie down. And when the young father hear that, he suffers so much. He believed that uh, there was another man who, uh, in his absence, intruded into his uh, household, his family. So his, his heart became a block of ice. He went home without saying anything with the little boy. In fact, there is no, no one coming every night. One day, the boy came home late, playing with the people, with the children in the, in the hamlet. And he said, Mother, everyone has a daddy. Where is my daddy? I want to have a father, a daddy. So she was uh, lighting the kerosene lamp and she pointed to her own shadow on the wall and said, this is your daddy. Why don't you say good evening to him? Do like this, good evening daddy. And that is the truth that uh, happened. And of course, uh, she spent a little time talking to her own shadow. She was so lonely. She talked to him. My dear husband, you have been away for a long time. How could I be alone mm. and raise our child? And of course, when she sit down, she sit down the shadow sit down. And that is the truth. But the young man has a wrong perception that someone has intruded into the home. And that's why when the lady came home, he did not look at her anymore. He did not answer her question anymore. It was very cold. And she began to suffer. She did not understand why, what happened. And when the offering has been placed on the altar, he spread a mat and uh, offered incenses and touched the earth uh, four times, according to the tradition. And after that, he rolled, he rolled up the mat and did not allow the young lady to, to do the touching of the earth thinking that she is not 
worth uh, presenting herself uh, before the altar because she had committed adultery. And she was very humiliated. She didn't know why. And instead of sharing the a meal, he left and went to the liquor bar and tried to forget his, uh, his suffering by drinking, drinking, and did not come home until 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And he, he kept doing like that several times. And the lady suffered so much, she could not bear it anymore, and she threw herself into the river Huang Yang nearby. And when he learned about the death of his wife, he came home and took care, took care of the child. And that night when he light the kerosene lamp, the boy said, Mister, here is my daddy. And he pointed to the, to the shadow of his father. He come every night. And now, the, uh, the young father now knew the truth, but it's too late. He's victim of a wrong perception. It's too late. And uh, the next day, everyone in the village learned about the tragedy. And they came and helped the young man to organize a requirement ceremony for three days to pray for the liberation of the soul of the young woman. The king, Le Thanh Tong, who was a poet, one day he went by and he saw a shrine built near to the river. He asked about, about it and the, and the people in the village told the king about the story, the tragedy. He was so moved, he wrote a poem. It was uh, engraved on a, a block of, um, of rock and that poem still exists. That, be, that is because a tragedy happened because uh, Mr. Tung, his name, uh, Lady Nam Sương, her name, they don't know how to practice the fourth mantra. The fourth mantra is like this. Darling, I suffer. Darling, I suffer. Please help. Please explain, why have you done such a thing to me? Why have you said such a thing to me? I suffer, please help. If uh, Mr. Trương had done that, and then the Nam Sương lady would have had the time to explain, and they both would have uh, been able to avoid the tragedy. And she, we behave like that also. She, she was hurt and there was a pride in her also. If she had gone to him and said, darling, my husband, I suffer so much. I don't understand why from the time I came home, 
from the market. You did not look at me anymore. You did not uh, answer my questions anymore. Have I done something horrible for, for you to treat me like that? Please help. Please explain. And if uh, she had done that, Mr. Trương would have uh, told her. The little boy said that someone used to come every night. Who is that? I suffer so much. Please explain. And then there was explanation and there will be no, no tragedy. And although it is uh, a little bit difficult to practice, but the fourth mantra is very essential to avoid the tragedy. So next time, dear friends, if it happened that you suffer, and if you believe your suffering has been caused by, to you by him, by her, the person you love the most, don't do like uh, Mr. Tu. Don't do like uh, Miss, Mrs. Uh, Nam Seung. Don't do like that. Don't get pride. Stand on your way. Go to him, go to her, and ask for help. In Plum Village, we advise our friends to, to take a piece of paper the size of a credit card and write down the three sentences. The first sentence is, Darling, I suffer, and I want you to know it. Darling, I suffer, and I want you to know that I suffer. You don't pretend that you don't suffer. You suffer, and you say you suffer. Because in the beginning, you have committed together to share everything, and suffering and happiness. So this is uh, something natural. You suffer, you, you say, you tell him, you suffer. You tell her, you suffer. The second line is, I'm doing my best. Because I am a practitioner of mindfulness. I am practicing mindful breathing, mindful walking, and look deeply into my suffering to see whether it has come from a wrong perception or not. Because I'm, I can be very well victim of a wrong perception. Maybe you have not intended to make me suffer but because uh, I have some perception, wrong perceptions. So I am doing my best in looking deeply into my suffering. And that second sentence is a kind of uh, indirect invitation for the other person to practice. What I have done, what I have said to make him or make her suffer that much, and that person begin to reflect to think. That is practice. And the last sentence is, please help. Please help me. And you can slip that piece of paper into your wallet. That is the Dharma in your wallet, the Buddha in your wallet. And every time you suffer and you believe that uh, your suffering has been caused 
by him, by her, the person you love the most. Take it out, and you know exactly what to do. Tomorrow we shall have a session of question and answers. <laughs>